over and over and over again. It keeps changing because people are looking for something to give them some sense of satisfaction, something to make them happy. Uh, why do people constantly play the lottery? I go in the gas station and get my breakfast every morning, and somebody come in and get $5 worth of gas and $15 worth of lottery tickets. What are they hoping to accomplish? I, maybe if I hit it big, right? If I can just win this one, now I'll be content, I'll be happy. And they spent way more than they can afford to try to get something that they're hoping to attain, and <clears throat> doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. You know, kids in school are, are, are so unhappy today. Anxiety levels and depression levels are at an all-time high. Kids, they bully each other and they do that because they're looking for something to make themselves feel better about themselves. We're a very discontented nation. We're a people that are just not happy with where we are. The word content means to be happy or satisfied in the place that you're in. And you know, when I was going over this lesson and I'm trying to think about it, it's kind of a difficult lesson. Because in one sense, I can stand up here and tell you that you know, you need to be content exactly where you are, but if you say that, where's the incentive to grow? Where's the incentive to try to, to maybe do more things in life? And I, I don't think God wants us to, to simply just never try to do anything with our life, just get to a point where we are and stay there. But contentment is something we need to work on. And we need to realize tonight what true contentment is. What true contentment is as far as Biblically speaking, because I think that's what God wants us to be is contented as far as he is concerned. And I wrote down what I think would be a pretty good definition of being content as far as God is concerned. It's an inner peace that comes from being right with God and recognizing that he is in control. I want you to think about that just for a second. It's an inner peace that comes with you being right with God and you recognizing, and, and myself recognizing, that he's in control. That's a hard one sometimes, isn't it? You see, the problem is, I can't be right with God unless I do that second part of that, right? I've got to realize he's in control of all things. I've got to submit my will to his will in recognizing that. And then and only then can I be right with him. So this whole thing has got to work together to get me to a place in my life that that I can pillow my head at night and I can truly be satisfied. And I can truly be happy. As a nation, do you think we're happy people? Think about that. I've said this for years. I've traveled to several different nations, third world countries on mission trips, and those people are happy. They are smiling every day and they have absolutely nothing. I can buy everything they own and what's in my wallet. Now, there's probably not a lot in my wallet. But they're always smiling and happy. They're content. If we could get to that place in our life, I promise you our lives would be better. Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul said in verse 9, These things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul says, listen, I want you guys to understand. You have, you have heard things from me. You've learned things from me. You've received things from me. You have seen things in me. You have watched my whole life. I've spent time with you. 
If you'll do those things, you will have a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what he said back in verse 7. And the peace that surpasses all understanding guards your hearts and mind. When you quit focusing on self and you put that focus on God, he said, do what I'm telling you to do and I promise you, your life will be better. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. He's reminding these brethren at Philippi, he said, you guys, you have sent me help in the past, and, and I know you've wanted to send me help again, and, and, and I understand you had those good intentions, but the opportunity was not there, but now it is. Verse 11, he says, not that I speak in respect of want. I'm not saying that because I have a, a, just a desire that you send me things, and I can have more possessions and more money and, and all of that. He says, that's not why I'm saying this. He says, I'm telling you this, because I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. I'm not begging for money. I'm not asking for anything. He says, because I have learned in my life that no matter what situation I find myself in, to be content in that situation. I don't know about you, but when I read that and I try to put that in my life, I don't want to speak about me. I can't always say that. I can't. Because a lot of times I find myself in situations in my life that I'm not happy with at all. I'm not content with at all. And I'm not talking about just with health or anything. I'm talking about in everything in my life. Sometimes I'm a very discontented person. Sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I do okay at it. And maybe that describes... Most people in here. Maybe it does. Why don't you look what Paul said? I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. It wasn't sometimes when, you know, I'm feeling good about my relationship with God and, and things are wrong. He says, no matter what state I find myself in, I've learned to be content. He says, I have learned to, verse 12, to be abased. He says, I've learned how to deal with things when, when life, you know, gives you lemons, right? He made lemonade out of it. When he was low in his life and things were just difficult, he says, I, I could be content. You know where he's writing this from? A jail cell. And why is he in jail? Did he do anything wrong? Absolutely not. He had done what was right. And he was being falsely accused of things that he did not do. And he was simply serving God and he finds himself in a jail cell. Is he at a low point in his life? Absolutely. But he says, I know how to be here. He says, but I also know how to abound. He says, I, 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 know, how to, I know how to live when things are, are good in my life. So I'm content when I'm here. I can content when I'm here. He says, I know how to be full and how to be hungry. He says, I know what it's like when there's food falling off the, the shelves in the pantry. Probably most of us in here, our house is that way, right? Food, you can't find anywhere to put anything, but you say there's nothing to eat, right? Can't shut the freezer door because there's so much food in it. We don't have anything to eat. I do the same thing. He says, I know how to be full. I also know how to be hungry. He says, verse 13, I can do all these things because Christ is the one that strengthens me. I know how to be content. He says, because I know where 
my focus has to be. And you see, that's our problem. That's my problem. Sometimes my focus is, is in the wrong place. Sometimes I focus on me and, and what I'm doing for my life and what I can get and, and how far I can go with whatever this is. And, and I'm not really focusing where my focus needs to be. And we're going to talk about that tonight, and hopefully something that we uh, will talk about will help each of us. I know it helps me because, like I said, the sermon hits me harder than anybody else. You know, two of the, or the last of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And one of the Christian virtues from 2 Peter chapter 1 is temperance or self-control. Do you know contentment is controlled? By self-control? Paul says, this is something I have learned to do in my life. This is something that I have had to work on to get myself to this point. So one of the fruits that the Spirit bears in our lives through the teaching of the Word of God is to get to the point that we can say, I am content. One of the virtues as a Christian that we continually add to our life day by day is to learn to be content. You see, but as a people, a lot of times, here's what we focus on. And I'll tell you, when my children were little and we would do something, you know what they would say? What are we doing next? We'd go do this. What are we doing next? Well, we'd go do that, and then what they say again? What are we doing next? And what we wanted to do next, a lot of times, needed to be bigger and better, right? Because they couldn't focus on what they had done, but they always wanted to focus on what we were going to do later. As a people, sometimes even as adults, are we like that? What are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? Is it going to be bigger? Is it going to be better? And you see, sometimes that's our problem. The mindset uh, of ourselves is, is off. You see, as a people, when it comes to contentment, we tend to look horizontally, right? We look at life around us. We look at other people around us. We base everything in our lives a lot of times on not what we have, but what others have, don't we? Anybody do that? You look around and you look at everybody else's house and everybody else's vehicles and maybe you think you know what's in their bank account and, and whatever it may be, you look at their health, you look at their family, how many children, whatever it may be, but you look around and you base your satisfaction of this life on what you see around you. But this type of contentment we're talking about doesn't look horizontally. It looks above. It looks vertical. It looks at God. And, and when we are truly content with God, we look and we say, if I have God, that's what? It's enough. Or at least it should. That's, sometimes that's difficult to do. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I got it mastered. I already told you. Struggle with it. It's hard. But you see, we can look around this world, and, and even when we do, we see people that are living lives like heathens, right? But it sure does seem like things are going their way, doesn't it? And they've got plenty. And, and they do whatever they want in this life. But I can promise you one thing. If they don't have God, you've got it far better. If you only get one meal a day, and you don't have a good place to lay down your head. If you've got God, you've got more than the majority of the world. By far. 
You see, if we could learn to look at our lives in that way, and that could become the most important thing in our lives. Isn't that what God wants us to do anyways? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The most important thing in your life is to, to, to try to get to Him and to do the things that please Him. When we do that, our, our focus would change. But again, that's, that's difficult. That's difficult to do in this country. Because in this country, we are driven. We're driven monetarily. We are driven. A lot of times I'm driven monetarily and I'm thinking about all those things and, and sometimes my thought process is, is not where it needs to be. But turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want us to see something that Paul told Timothy. By the way, I, I won't be here this Sunday. I start a gospel meeting, but next uh, week from Sunday, Lord willing, I'm going to start teaching 1 Timothy, if I don't change my mind. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, Paul told Timothy, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. See, the problem in the first of the chapter is people were looking at, at monetary gains, by doing different things, but Paul is flipping the coin here. And he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. He's looking at the world and he says, you focus on all of these other ways to get gain, but he says, you've got to realize you're looking at it in the wrong way. Godliness with contentment. You do what God said to do. You live your life for Him and be satisfied that you have salvation That's the most gain you can ever hope to attain in this world. That's more important than anything else. He says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food, raiment, let us therewith be content. You've heard the song that talks about you've never seen a hearse with a a receiver hitch. Don't see one pulling a trailer, do you? Never seen anyone buried with all of their possessions. You've heard the joke that uh, the guy wanted to be buried with all his money and his wife wrote him a check, right? Put it in the cash. Well, that didn't do him any good, did it? Didn't have anywhere to cash that thing. But you see, that's the problem sometimes. Sometimes we think we're going to take it with us and Paul says, you can't do it. You can't do it. We work our whole life to amass all of these things that we think we need so bad. What happens? I read a story about a man. A man had come up on a deal, and in this deal he could pay a certain amount of money, and that certain amount of money would buy all the land that he could walk around in a day. He had to start at a certain point, and as far as he could walk, and he could get back to that point, he would purchase that amount of land for this certain amount of money. Well, this man was excited. And he began to walk, and as he walked, he would see things that he liked. So he would walk a little bit farther and a little bit farther and he could see that the day was, was getting, you know, coming closer to a close but, but he still seen what he liked so he would, he would walk faster. And he continued to go and he could see that the sun was getting close to setting. So he ran and he ran and he ran and he finally got back to the point to where he was and, and he was going to have all of this land but when he got back to that point, he died. 
because he had put everything that he had into running around this piece of land, and he died. And the story goes on to tell that they come along and they dug a six-foot hole, and they put the man in. And the moral of the story is all the land a man needs Six foot, right? Now some of us, me and Phil, we need a little bit more than that, right? A little bit more. But ultimately, isn't that all we need? That's hard. That's tough. Paul says, brought nothing in, you're not going to take anything out. He says, be content with what you've got. Be content with what you've got. Verse 8. He says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in, in destruction and perdition. They that will be rich. How many of us want to be called greedy? Anybody in here, you just you wake up this morning and say, I hope somebody thinks I'm greedy today, right? We don't like to focus on that word greedy. But do you realize greedy is just another word for covetous? Go home and look it up. You know what covetous means? An inordinate desire for wealth or possessions. Go home and get on Webster's Dictionary and look up the word covetous. An inordinate desire for wealth or possession. It can also mean that you desire somebody else's things, but it's simply you've got a... A greed for wealth and possessions. You know what the Bible says about being covetous? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, Paul says, don't you know that certain people will not go to heaven? You know verse 10 says, people that will not go to heaven is covetous people. That's a scary thought, isn't it? If, if as a person, I, I'm kind of... You know, I, I'm really consumed with, I, I want all of these things. That's a covetous person. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, the Apostle Paul is dealing with church discipline, and he tells us that the church is to practice church discipline, okay, on adulterers and, and all these what we call bad people, but do you know in that list is someone who is covetous? How do you practice church discipline on somebody that's covetous? I'll let the elders answer that. That's a hard one, isn't it? That's difficult. You see, as being a Christian, I can't be covetous. I can't be a person that, that is so discontent with what I have that I just have an inordinate desire to have more and more and more. And as an American, that's what we call the, you know, that's a normal American dream, right? More, more, more. But Paul says, but they that will be rich, they that are covetous, he says, they fall into temptation. You ever been tempted trying to make more money and get more possessions in a million different ways? Probably so. Probably so. He says, we fall into temptations. We fall into a snare, a trap. That is set for an animal, and, and the trap is set by the devil. He says, and it goes into foolish and hurtful lust, and they drown men in destruction and perdition. It may not in this life, 
But this life is not the one that matters, is it? Or at least it shouldn't. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. I skipped verse 10, didn't I? He says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Not money. It's not wrong to be rich. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of possessions. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car or nice houses. But it's how your heart treasures those things is the problem. It's not money that's evil. It's the love of it. It's being covetous. It's not being content where you are. And again, I know when I say that, that's hard to, that's hard to strike a balance, isn't it? It's hard to say that, you know, you've you got to be content on this end, and, but then you've you got all these things on it. That's hard, isn't it? Where's your loyalty lie? What does Jesus say about your heart and your treasure? Somebody tell me. What does he say? That's exactly right. Where's your treasure? Nothing wrong with having all of these things, but is that your treasure? If that's your treasure, you're not content. If that's my treasure over here, all of these things and all this bank account, I'm not content. But if my treasure's over here, where God is, you see, that's different. I wrote down a few things. If God is truly my master, there's going to be certain things in my life. Matthew 6, verse 24 says, uh, no man can serve two masters, right? You can't serve two masters. It's either one or the other. It's either God or mammon. It's either God over here or, or mammon, possessions, material things, money over here. He says it's one of those two things in your life. If God is truly my master, I'm going to ask you this. How do I spend my time? Is that a fair question? If I've got some free time on my hand, I understand we've got to work. I understand we've got family obligations. I understand all these things. But if God is truly my master in my life, and I'm saying I'm content and I'm on his side, how do I spend my free time? Nobody has to answer that out loud. But it's meant to make you think, right? What's, what's important to us? I read one time that our checkbooks, a lot of times, shows who our master is. Think about that for a minute. Our checkbook shows who our master is. If something is important to you in this life, don't you invest in it? Right? Your family's important to you, right? So you want to invest in that family. And your business, and my business is important to me, so I want to invest in that. And whatever else it may be in this life that it's important to you, you want to invest in that. What about the church? What about God's kingdom? Would our checkbooks tell a different tale? I'm not trying to get a raise. I don't care about that. I'm being serious. What would our checkbook say about who our master is? What would our checkbook say about our contentment in God is where he needs to be in our life? It won't lie, will it? It won't lie. You know, contentment focuses on the eternal and not just the temporal. 
You see, that's what I've been trying to say all this time. You know, contentment over here is focused on my most important thing in my life. And the thing that, that holds everything together with me, remember, is that contentment, which is the inner peace with being that I am right with God and I know He's in control. And when I think like that, I'm thinking eternal, and I'm not just simply focusing on these things that are temporary. We already said, and Paul already said, you can't take it with you. We didn't bring it with us, and we certainly can't take it with us. You know, it's said that we work and we work and we work and we save and we save to retire. How many people do you know they worked all their life and they retired and they were dead within a couple of years. You know anybody like that? Am I saying those people were wrong? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if our whole focus in life is I want to get all I can get and then when I get this age, then I'm going to live it up and do whatever I want to. You didn't bring none of it with you. You're not going to take any of it with you and you may not get to enjoy any of it. You see, our focus is wrong. And that's why we can't be contented. God said, I'll take care of you. Matthew 6, again, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll add all those things that you need. I'll give you everything you need. Need, keyword. You see, we don't focus on the uh, eternal part enough. What do we want to do most in life? What would you say your goal is in life? You could raise your hand and you can give me the church answer. I want to go to heaven, right? You can say that. That's fine. I would say that too. But my heart can't lie to God. I can say whatever I want to, but my heart can't lie to God. My mouth can. My heart can't. Can't fool God. So what I, what's my goal in life? What do I want most out of my life? Well, that tells God whether it's focused on the eternal or the temporary. What do I think about most in my life? Consider that for a moment. You're at home, you're by yourself. What do you think about? God knows that. You don't ever have to tell me or anybody else in the world. But God knows that. Who are my heroes? You said, my hero is that Elon Musk guy that owns Tesla. He, he, he's a lot of people's heroes, right? I mean a lot of people's heroes. Has he done well in life? Physically, yeah. Monetarily, yeah. Is that going to matter? He's the richest man in the world, but you know what? When he dies, who he'll be equal with? The guy that has nothing. He'll have the same amount when they die. You see, we need to, we need to realize some of those things. I only got just a couple of minutes. So when I'm going to focus on how to be content, Paul said he'd learn to be content what was his secret? His secret was he put his focus on Jesus. Philippians 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, my life is focused on Jesus. Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His Keys are his, uh, the way he got to be content, he focused on the cross. Number two, he didn't complain. Go back to Philippians again, Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing. 
You realize no matter how bad your life is, complaining won't do you any good. How many people in here want to hear somebody else complain? And they don't want to hear you either. They don't want to hear me either. Complaining does nothing but make us miserable. It's truth. Number three, Paul, he didn't focus on the past. Philippians 3, verse 13, he says, One thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I focus on those things which are ahead. Can't change the past. You know how many people try to live with changing the past? Focusing on yesterday's mistakes, and, and, and all that does is hold us back from being the people God would have us to be. Can't change it. Can't change it. You just got to move on. Got to move on with our life. You did something wrong, ask forgiveness, do what you need to do, but move on with your life. Paul, he could have focused on his past, and he would have been the most miserable human on the face of the earth because... He caused Christians to blaspheme. He, he murdered people. He beat people. If he had focused on that, what kind of man would he be? Miserable. And number four, he realized that his strength was in Jesus. Philippians 4, verse 13. And again, Philippians 4, verse 19, he understood Jesus was going to supply all of his needs. So he had his focus on the cross. He realized he couldn't complain. It wasn't going to help anybody. Number three, he didn't focus on the past, and he realized his strength was in Jesus. You know, if we'll take Paul's example, we can learn to be content too. We can learn to, to put our faith where it needs to be, and I promise you we'd be a happier people. I appreciate your attention.